What is going on, everybody? Welcome back. It is Dog Talk with your host, Holden. Hope everybody's doing good today. Glad to be back with you guys. I know it's been a little bit since I've come back and talked with you guys, but guess what? I'm here. We're going to get this thing rocking and rolling today. Again, glad to have everybody here with us. If you're here, make sure you guys go and check us out on Twitter at Dog Talk 20. Would appreciate that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you guys go and rate and review. Give us that five star. That would help us out a lot there. Uh, on the Apple Podcast, on YouTube, not on YouTube again, trying to get my, my camera back up and running, not really sure what the deal is with the camera, uh, I don't like the quality of the webcam, so I've decided not to go to it right now, so uh, that leads me to my next thing, if you guys feel like, um, if you guys feel like supporting the show, I'll leave the link in the description if you guys want to, uh, I might just have to get a new camera. Christmas time is coming, so maybe I'll do that too as well. Uh, but anyway, on YouTube, I will eventually get it back up and running. Hopefully by the end of this season, only a few games left in the season. Hard to believe we were, that we're there. But anyways, on YouTube, make sure you guys hit that subscribe button as well as hit the like button. When you do watch a video, I would appreciate that as well as hitting that bell. That way you get a notification anytime I do upload an episode. You got it there. And then last but not least, got the website dogtalkpod.com spelled the way it's supposed to be d-a-w-g-talkpod.com you guys make sure you go over and check out the website there if you guys feel like it again glad to have you guys back here with us after taking down florida excuse me this past weekend 34 to 7 in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party what a great game it was for the most part for the most part really half of it i guess because one half of it was pretty slow, pretty boring, not very exciting there to get things going. But we're going to get to it. we got a lot to get to as far as the game, reviewing that game. And I'm doing a two-parter because I'm coming to you later. I'm going to review the Florida game, review games that happened in Week 9. Then we're going to preview Missouri as well as preview some of the other games around the country that are coming up. We've got a couple of big ones that are coming up around the country this week. So we're going to talk a little bit about those as well as get the predictions in at the end of the show uh, so get you guys make sure you stick around for that. But first and foremost, off the top, the news that I have for you guys is the Atlanta Braves are 2021 World Series champs. How great does that feel? Uh, for anybody that's out there, you know that it's always been a thing since the Falcons lost in the, in the Super Bowl, since the Braves have fallen the past few years, as well as a few years back. Um, and then George obviously falling in the national championship a couple of years ago. The Georgia curse. Everybody's been talking about how the Georgia sports curse uh, is a real thing. And last night it was lifted. The Braves took that off of our shoulders and took down the Houston Astros in game six, seven to nothing. Braves on top. So glad to see that. Uh, been pulling for the Braves for a long time. It's the first time that the Braves have been back to the World Series since 99. First time that they've won it since 95 so what is that 26 years hard to believe that it's been that long uh, but i've been following them since i was a kid since i was born always loved to and really glad to see them be able to accomplish that yesterday it's been some late nights late nights watching that um so being able to witness that was was really awesome really awesome couldn't couldn't be more happy not only for the braves but for the state of georgia as well especially now that you know talking about that curse being lifted guess who's next you got it. That's what we're aiming for. Dogs, after taking down Florida and after Kentucky losing this past weekend on the East yet again, the Georgia Bulldogs are the 2021 SEC East champions. Back at the top like we're supposed to be, back where we're meant to be, in the same place we've been 
in the few years past with exception unfortunately to last year but we're not going to talk too deeply about that even though that's all Dan Mullen wants to do we're going to talk a little bit about the Georgia Florida game in depth I do want to make sure that I clear up one thing that I said last week that's actually incorrect uh, and that was Tyke Smith thinking that he was going to be back he's not um, I know I reported it the week before that he is out with an ACL injury for the rest of the season don't really know why that just completely skipped my brain last week but it did uh, and I said that I, I think we were hopeful that we would get him back. A lot of the guys that we were hoping to get back in this past week's game against Florida, we did. Obviously, we didn't get George Pickens back, but we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, coming up because it does look like he is getting better. You know, there was media availability for the practice. I think it was Monday, if I remember correctly. And uh, George was out there running routes in a non-contact jersey. So he is making progression to that to that point but don't really anticipate seeing him uh, in the next few games that we have coming up really because none of them are going to be all that important uh, Tennessee could be a little bit of a test as their offense has got uh, got really moving a lot more than they had at the start of the season so that could be a test a little bit later but nothing that Georgia shouldn't be able to handle um, if we get George back I would really assume and 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 just guess that that's going to happen in the postseason you know whether it's the SEC championship game fingers crossed for that because right now that's where we're going we know we're going to be there you can go ahead and punch that ticket December 4th we will be there who we're going to play that's the curious thing right now we're going to jump into the uh, first college football playoff ranking that did come out yesterday so we're going to go through that but it's going to be interesting to see who we play from the west because right now right now things are a lot tighter than people understand yes Alabama is at the top of them and if Alabama continues to win that's who we'll see in the SEC championship game is Alabama. But there's a team that is all of a sudden creeping themselves up into the rankings and has kind of been in the rankings, but is just slowly but surely starting to work their way back up into a process where they should be. Uh, and they've come a long way since the start of this season, and that's, a, that's the Auburn Tigers. Georgia took them down a couple of weeks ago, um, but th they've been on a bit of a tear. They've been on a bit of a tear coming back, taking teams out that you wouldn't really expect. They took Kentucky down, uh, and then they also took Ole Miss down uh, this past week. So Auburn is on a tear. They've got a big matchup coming up this weekend against Texas A&M, and Texas A&M can really derail that process where Auburn is trying to get back to the top of the West because right now they're second. After taking Ole Miss down this past weekend, Auburn stands alone at second place in the SEC West behind Alabama. Well, if they can take down Texas A&M and then at the end of the season take down Alabama in the Iron Bowl, all of a sudden you're looking at a rematch of Auburn and Georgia again. Same exact thing that happened in that 2017 season when Georgia did go to the national championship, except for in the regular season, Auburn beat Georgia. In this situation, it's Georgia beating Auburn in the regular season. And then in the SEC championship game of 2017, Georgia beats Auburn. So yet to see what's going to happen on that. But something to keep an eye on nonetheless because that is a little bit uh, of an exciting thing to think about really uh, considering the tear that Auburn's been on. Again, that can be completely derailed by Texas A&M this weekend. And if that happens, I do believe uh, that that would pretty much give Alabama the West and, unless somehow – Texas A&M beating Auburn puts them in a position to possibly get up there against Alabama if Alabama was to fall to Auburn. Maybe that's a situation where A&M beats Auburn and Alabama and gets that nod over Alabama, a two-loss at that point, as long as A&M doesn't lose again. Because right now, if 
I remember correctly, A&M only has two losses on the season. That's correct. So if they were to win out and beat Auburn and have that win against Alabama and that win against Auburn, Alabama's two losses at that point, if Alabama fell to Auburn at the end of the year, would negate it. And then you'd have Texas A&M in there. So right now it's a little bit up in the air, a little bit up in the air. So this may not be decided until the end of the season. It could be decided the final week of the season when the Iron Bowl happens, whether or not you get Alabama, whether or not you get Texas A&M, or whether or not you get Auburn. Right now we get a little bit of an answer where if Texas A&M beats Auburn, you know, Texas, the only chance for A&M to be the SEC West uh, fill-in would be if Alabama lost to Auburn at the end of the season. Uh, but if Auburn wins, then you still have that hope for Auburn that if they could take down Alabama at the end of the season, well, then you got Auburn. So there's three guys right there between Texas A&M, Alabama, and Auburn who are still in the race for the SEC West. But again, like I said earlier, the East, it's wrapped up. It's all Georgia Bulldogs. It doesn't matter what happens for the rest of the season. You'd hate for this to happen, but if Georgia somehow lost the last, what, four games of the season, it wouldn't matter because Georgia is still the SEC East champion and will be playing in the SEC Championship on December 4th. Uh, so go ahead and punch that ticket. Really excited about that. So far, so good. We are on the same track and the track that we want to be on to getting to a college football playoff game once again and hopefully in the end a national championship game as well. That's what we're going to look forward to. But let's go ahead and jump into this college football playoff ranking. The AP poll did drop before it, obviously on Sunday, uh, and it's 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 close to what we had. You know, I could part of me thinks about running through it, but it's really just not even worth it. Uh, I'll make some of the comparisons um, to the AP poll from this past week when I go through this college football playoff rankings. But this is how it lines up. Just like it's supposed to, Georgia at the number one spot. That's that's unanimous across all boards. There's no one in the country right now that does not see Georgia at the top, and there's no argument for why Georgia shouldn't be at the top. I don't know anybody other than, you know, maybe a Florida fan saying, oh, they're not that good. Well, nobody else is better than them at the point at this point. So go dogs to that, sitting at the top, dogs on top all the way. First time Georgia has been ranked in that top college football playoff spot, I believe, since the 2017 season. Because if I remember correctly, Georgia was also ranked at the top of that for a couple of weeks before being derailed by Auburn. Uh, and then that dropped us out. But we did find ourselves back close to the top of that nearing the end of that season. The strange one in this is number two, Alabama. Not who I anticipated. They were ranked third in the AP poll, and we anticipated that at least, but I'm really surprised that they put them in second in this college football playoff ranking just because a couple of these other teams that we're going to talk about. Unfortunately, Cincinnati gets no love in this situation from the college football playoff rankings, and I understand why, but at the same time, you're talking about a team who is still undefeated, even if some of those wins don't necessarily look great. Hey, Alabama, some of their wins don't look great, but you can't make that comparison because if Alabama and Cincinnati play right now, I think a lot of people would say it's very hard to to think that Cincinnati could win that game. Also, Alabama playing an SEC schedule is much different than the teams that Cincinnati has had to play. But nonetheless, at three, you got Michigan State undefeated at 8-0. Number four is Oregon at 7-1. Number five, Ohio State at 7-1. Then you do get Cincinnati down there at the sixth spot at 8-0. Michigan at seventh at 7-1 after falling to Michigan State this past weekend. Oklahoma all the way down at eighth. The only 9-0 team in the country 
and they are all the way down at eighth. Uh, that's the one thing I think the college football playoff ranking, the committee, got right was that, put other than Georgia at one. It's putting Oklahoma down at eight. And some of that you do have to put around recency bias, even though they say that's not a thing. And that's just because every time they've been ranked highly, and and it doesn't mean that they're out. They they still could get in and you know win out and win convincingly. But every time they've been there, they've just crapped the bed. You know, you get to the playoffs and they just the only good playoff game that they've had really was against Georgia that 2017 season when they played and went to what three overtimes. That was the best one there with Baker Mayfield. And since then, I mean, they've just they got the doors blown off by who was it, LSU in 2019. So, I mean, in Alabama, I believe in 20, what was that, 2018, 2020? Heck, I don't even, I don't even remember now. My, my, my years are getting mixed up since all of this. But I do think they got that right, putting Oklahoma at eight, just because, again, I think they've been overrated in the games that they've won. I don't know how some of them they've won, and some of them they probably shouldn't have won. They have found a way to win these games, but it's just not convincing enough for them to be in the top five uh, barely even in the top ten, really, there at the eight spot. Then right below them, an ACC team does come in there at nine. Wake Forest undefeated at eight and zero. Notre Dame, the sole win that Cincinnati does have over a top-ranked team is against number ten, Notre Dame at seven and one. That one loss coming to Cincinnati. Then you got Oklahoma State at eleven at seven and one. Baylor twelfth at seven and one. Auburn. Coming in that 13 spot at six and two, Texas A&M right behind them at 14 and six and two. That's going to be a good matchup this weekend. BYU at 15, they're seven and two. Ole Miss at 16, they're six and two. Mississippi State five and three, they're at the 16 spot. Kentucky at 18, sitting at six and two. NC State 19 at six and two. And 20th, you got Minnesota at 6 and 2. 21, you got Wisconsin at 5 and 3. 22, Iowa at 6 and 2. 23, Fresno State at 7 and 2. 24, San Diego State at 7 and 1. And 25, Pitt at 6 and 2. One of the kind of wild things in this was Iowa. Just the fall from grace that they've had for the past two weeks, going from that number two ranking all the way down to 22nd after falling back to back weeks. It's wild to see that. But it's also understandable when that happens. Uh, one of the other things that we had talked about a little bit last week was we're going to find out, is Georgia truly breaking teams? Clemson, they have fallen completely off the wayside. Uh, and then you go to Arkansas, again, another team who's fallen off the wayside and just lost back-to-back-to-back weeks. Strange to see them just fall hard like that. Now Kentucky, we get to see this happen as well uh, after Georgia takes down Kentucky. Then they also fall, I think they fell to Auburn the week before last, or was that last week? Last week was Ole Miss. It may have been the week before last. Anyways, doesn't matter. Kentucky's skidding down a little ways down to that 18 spot. So, kind of wild to see there is some controversy there. There's a little bit to talk about, but there's not much because a lot of this is going to work itself out. Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan, all these teams have to play one another. So, um, that, that'll that kind of sort itself out. That could give the opportunity for Cincinnati to work his way in there because four and five, those are two teams that are eventually going to end up, um, or excuse me, three and five are a couple of teams that are eventually going to end up playing. Oregon, you know, they, they could slip up somewhere. Uh, right now, Alabama, they're, they're on their own path. They can control their own destiny as long as they win out. They've got a couple of, couple of really just one game left that is losable at the end of the season. But other than that, you know, there's, there is still plenty of mix-up that can happen. 
This could be the first year that you don't get an ACC team in there, and the only team that everybody's leaning on in the ACC right now is nine and undefeated, or excuse me, eight and undefeated number nine Wake Forest. But it's going to take a lot happening up above them for that to change. Right now, two SEC teams at the top, uh, and a Big Ten team in the three spot, and then a Pac-12 team in the four spot. First time we've seen Pac-12 really show up there uh, with Oregon, and then you got another Big Ten in Ohio State, obviously a group of five there in the AAC in Cincinnati, and then another Big Ten in Michigan. Then you get the Big 12 showing up there in eight in Oklahoma. Uh, then you do have Oklahoma State down there at 11. You know, Bedlam's coming, though, so that could change. There is a lot that could happen that could change up to possibly get Cincinnati in that top five. I still think that there is the possibility they end up in the top four by the end of this season and, and the possibility of them getting into a playoff. Again, a lot has to happen ahead of them for that to happen, but I, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. One thing, like I said off the top, we know that Georgia is the number one team in the country. And for all of us dogs, we got to be extremely excited about that. So, Let's get into it. Let's go back to reviewing that 34-7 win over Florida before we jump too much further. All right, getting into it right here. Was kind of surprised to see it, but we did have Stetson Bennett get into the start. I'd heard a little bit on Friday that it more than likely it was going to end up being Stetson, and sure enough, that's who it ends up being. So uh, glad to see him get the start, I guess. I was really, really anticipating it being JT Daniels. There's still a lot of skepticism of why exactly we haven't seen him. And it's even more skepticism because he's supposedly healthy. <clears throat> and for the most part, all of us know him to be QB1. We know at the start of the season he was deemed and named the starter. We knew that back really in the spring. Obviously, he's been battling injury really all season between that lat strain and, and whatever he's had dealing with uh, since then. There's, there's been a lot, an oblique strain, all, all of that that's been going on. So he's been dealing with a lot. Um, and I know Kirby said that it's a continuity issue. It's, it's, it's based all upon that and how things go in practice. And for the most part, it's mainly just – Knowing that right now Stetson is the guy who's you know just been there. He's been the guy who's been in there. He's been running the reps and, and running all the plays in practice with the ones. So there's a lot of continuity there having that guy who's been in there week in, week in and week out. Um, so I can understand that, but it's still kind of strange to see Stetson ended up playing the entire game. JT never played a snap in this game. And I say that because – this game was three to nothing just before the half. There's a lot defensively that happened, as you know, if you watch the game right before the half, uh, that turned things around in a good way for Georgia. And there was one good play uh, by Stetson in there with a nice pass play to Kiaris Jackson for a touchdown. That maybe that was the boost he needed, and 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 maybe Kirby decided, okay, from this point, he made a really good play. Let's see if he can continue to make those plays uh, to be able to get you where you need to be, and and keep JT fresh. I really am starting to believe it's no longer a situation of, uh, well, let's keep JT fresh till we really need him. I don't think that's, I don't think that's Kirby's uh, philosophy anymore. I don't think that's his thought process. I think at this point he truly is in that mindset of, hey, Stetson Bennett's quarterback one right now. He's QB one until further notice, until there's a situation that arises where we no longer think that uh, he's in a situation to get us to where we need to be and to win games and to win the game that we are playing at the moment. Again, I'm, I'm really surprised that after the half uh, we didn't get to see JT. 
Unfortunately for myself, I had to go back and rewatch this game because I was at a uh, a wedding while the game was going on. I watched it all the way up through that first you know uh, a possession where we drove it down and, and kicked a field goal wide right. Um, and then I, I missed most everything else because from that point it was uh, wedding, then it was trick-or-treating and it was going to the reception of the wedding so it was a busy busy Saturday uh, but I did luckily have a little bit of time on Sunday where I was able to go back and re-watch the game and watch a good bit of that again this was a three nothing football game with about what two minutes and 16 seconds I believe left in the first half and that's before Georgia's defense absolutely lit the world up lit the world up three turnovers in that short span of time. And the score went from three to nothing to 24 to nothing before the half. And again, even though I wasn't watching it, I had a friend of mine who he, he was keeping me in touch with the game and uh, I'd heard about the strip and then a touchdown. And then I heard about the interception and then we get a touchdown. And I was like, okay. And that was with not much time left before the half. You guys all know this, obviously you guys watched it or not, but I'm just telling you my, my enactment of what I got to uh, witness in it. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at ESPN just to kind of see what's happening right before the half, and it goes from 17 to nothing with Florida having the ball and, and moving the ball a little bit to all of a sudden, I see it's 24 to nothing. And I'm thinking, what, what is going on? Another turnover. That Georgia defense, ugh. I mean, you can't say enough about it. You really cannot say enough about Georgia's defense because – if their offense is not clicking on all cylinders like it wasn't, it was not clicking on all cylinders. It was clicking on all cylinders that first possession. But from that point, it really kind of spit and, spit and sputtered for the first and second quarter of this game. And defense luckily bailed it out there late in the second quarter to be able to put some points on the board, not only with the pick six there with N'Kobe Dean as they start to drive to make it 24 to nothing for the dogs, but Nolan Smith getting that strip sack. Trayvon Walker tipping that pass to Nolan Smith on another interception where, yes, the offense did have to move the ball those couple of times to be able to put points on the board, and they were able to on a short field. Uh, but having to drive a long field in a couple of these other situations, Georgia didn't do it. Now, strangely enough, both teams had three turnovers apiece. So the turnover margin ends up even, obviously, at the end of that. So that helped a lot, them turning the ball over. But unfortunately, we gave it back to them because I got I got to look and I was like, hey, we must have punted the ball a lot in this game. We didn't. Jake Kamara punted the ball twice in this entire game. Hot Pod goes two for three. You know, we, we need to get a little bit more consistent off the field goal kick, and I, I can definitely agree with that because right now it seems like, yeah, he'll kind of settle in a groove, but he's going to miss at least one maybe that he shouldn't. And we're not talking about a, a kick that's, a 55 yarder we're not talking about something outrageous that if you make okay and if you don't okay uh you know missing that now i will give a little credit to him because kirby even said this it, it, there were some swirling winds out, out there on saturday so maybe maybe give him a little bit of slack uh, as far as that goes instead of being too hard on him i get that but back to some of the stat lines here george's offense puts up 354 yards 354 yards in this game in a game that if I look back, I just want to look to make sure I've got this right. Right now, Georgia is averaging, putting up 420, 420 total yards in a game. So we came up short in that. Through the air, we're averaging, putting up about 227 yards. We only threw the ball for 161 yards. We're averaging on the ground almost 200 yards at 192. Uh, we, we put it on the ground for 193. So we're pretty average as far as that went, um, which was good. Now, 
on the other side, Florida, they actually moved the ball one yard better. They did not throw the ball very efficiently on Georgia. If I look back correctly at this, they ended up on the weekend 194 yards through the air, which Georgia really gives up about 151, so that's a little more. The biggest thing that they did, they ran the ball for 161 yards on us. Now, the strange thing about that is, which we'll get to the defense in a minute, they had multiple guys who ran the ball, but nobody really ran the ball effectively for Florida. Again, we're going to get to that defensively coming up. But on the offensive side, Stetson, 10 for 19, 161 yards, averaging 8.5 yards a pass. So not too terrible. Had a touchdown but did throw two picks in the game. Ends up with 71.7 as his QBR, and he was sacked one time on the night. And, again, that's another thing not many people are talking about as far as when it comes to Georgia's offense. Again, points-wise, Georgia's putting up uh, – you know, still averaging, I think, like 37 points a game, 37.9. So we're still right at that 38 mark, which, again, I've talked about this for the past couple of weeks. Not a lot of people are talking about the fact that Georgia, their defense is so good and it overshadows the fact that Georgia's offense is still putting up over 30 points a game and really still like that, averaging 37.9. And that number should go up after playing Missouri this weekend. Kind of wild to see that Georgia opened as a 39-point favorite against Mizzou coming up which we're going to get to. That's that's coming up at the end of the episode. On the ground, we finally get Zeus for that 105 yards, 14 carries, and a touchdown. Finally get him in that 100-yard category for the first time this season. Hard to believe that our running backs, we hadn't had one running back touch 100 yards all season. Eight games in, and we hadn't had a single one with that stable of backs. Again, that's the reason, though. When you have five and six running backs who can all take it to the house back there, and you're spreading it out evenly between all of them, it's going to be very, very difficult for guys to get over 100 yards. Now, you're going to put up probably 200 yards on the ground, but you're not going to put up 100 yards per rusher when you got four and five guys that are carrying the ball. But Zeus, he does get a touchdown and does hit that 105-yard mark. James Cook right behind him, 10 touches, 46 yards, and a touchdown as well for James on the ground. Kiaris Jackson was the leading receiver this week. Three touches for 59 yards, one touchdown, that one big touchdown coming right before the half uh, where Stetson and he connected. And I'll tell you this, Kiaris is starting to look more and more like himself, more and more like we saw him last year being that receiving leader for the Dogs. And I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see him getting healthy, finally getting back in a groove and getting in a rhythm uh, to where we can have him because we're definitely going to need him down the stretch. So having him and all of these other weapons that have arrived for Georgia this season and are coming up, that's a really good thing. That, that means nothing but positive things moving forward. Darnell Washington right behind him, two touches, 41 yards, and then Brock Bowers with one big catch at 38 yards on the night. So offensively, again, we did the job. We did, we spit and sputtered pretty difficultly there in that first half, but the second half we were able to move the ball a little bit more efficiently, which was good to see. Uh, but, again, we only put up 10 points in the second half. You know, you go up 24 to nothing. In that first half was nice. We only get another touchdown or a field goal and then didn't get a touchdown until really the end of the game. And I was actually excited to see that touchdown because we unfortunately let Florida drive down, had a penalty deep, and uh, unfortunately they did score on the defense. You know, I think that at this point is starting to become uh, teams' goals. Teams' goals are if you can beat Georgia, obviously, but most people are just excited and happy just to get in the end zone. And something that – Normally, Georgia seems to go really, really conservative and run the ball, which we did. But 
Zeus was able to get loose. It wasn't a, it wasn't a so conservative where it was like, all right, well we're just gonna eat clock. No, Georgia still drove down the field and scored on like a 40-yard touchdown run by Zeus uh, to give us another touchdown. So the offense was really not not really firing on all cylinders, and that was another reason that I was pretty surprised not to see JT coming to this game. And my opinion on it is this. I know that Kirby knows what he's doing, and I, I, I understand we do not see a practice. So I can't tell you, hey, yeah, JT's QB1. I can tell you that I would assume and I would have always thought that he's QB1 considering where we were in the spring and where we were coming into this season. Uh, but I, I, I can also understand Kirby's side of it. But that's not to say that it's not very strange that we're not seeing JT. You know, whether it's something we're not being told, which I don't think is the case. I think JT's healthy. I think he's ready to go. I think this is just a situation where you go back to that 2017 season and, and Jacob Eason was the starter, and he was a stud, and we knew that. We knew what we had moving forward, and he gets hurt, and all of a sudden Jake Fromm is thrown into the game at App State, or at home but playing App State, and from that point on, Jake Fromm didn't leave the field again. Not that season. And I, I don't think there was nearly as much of a complaint about Jake being in there because we were being successful. We were still winning games. We were still winning some games convincingly. So I don't think there was nearly as much complaint back then as there is now, even though we're still handling business with a defense that's even better than it was that season, probably better than Georgia's defense has ever been. Um, and, and I know that's saying a lot because – We've had some good defenses over the years, but this year is different. Having that backup at defense and the fact that we're still putting up over 30 points a game, and, and like I said earlier, averaging almost 38 points a game, we should be okay with the fact that Stetson is in there. Yeah, he's spit and sputter, but he's still got the job done. He threw it two terrible passes in this game, and that's the difference to me. But there were also plays, and one busted, busted play, whether it was by Zeus, whether it was by Stetson, I don't know, where Stetson was actually able to scramble and get a lot of yardage. I think he got like 25 yards on the scramble that he had uh, where he got loose on a, on a handoff to the – should have been the right side, and he, he looked left. I, again, I don't know who that play was on or if it was just a busted play call altogether, but luckily Stetson was able to scramble and get it. Something that I'm not saying JT couldn't have done, but that may have been more of a throwaway, and then you're second and ten and, and you go from there trying to pick that up. Uh, but that's also a thing I don't think that JT gets himself into. He's Again, I think he's just – he has the brain that you want running that offense, where Stetson has the legs if he's running the offense, where Stetson can get more loose. And, and not that JT's not mobile, and, and Kirby even said this in a press conference, it's not that he's not mobile, it's that Stetson is. Stetson can get out of the pocket. Stetson can run when you need him to. Um but the thing to me is JT is so much smarter with the football in his hand. He's not going to throw that ball into double coverage. Or he's not going to throw it just basically to the other team because they were, the, both of his interceptions, they weren't passes where it was like, yeah, I could see why you, why you might try to fit that pocket. No, these, they, they were not good passes at all, at all. And that, those are the times where we didn't have that nearly as much when Jake Fromm had to take over for Jacob Eason. So that's another reason I think a lot of people are – much more strenuous about it this year, especially because you do have such a good defense and, and we expect so much from Georgia this year. And that year, you know, we wanted to get to an SEC championship. We get there and then we win it. And then it's like, oh, okay, 
we're we are much further along than we've been in a long time. And then all of a sudden you're thrust into the playoff. You win that, and next thing you know, you're playing for a national championship. So we know where we want to be this year. We know what we're capable of this year. And all of us, I think, are just very skeptical of is it Stetson Bennett that can make you a national champion? Is Stetson Bennett capable of getting you to that point? And I wrote an article early on about Stetson, but that was when he came in against UAB in a, in, in a few games that I would anticipate that he could come in and be able to handle business. Now, I credit to him because he has come in in a couple of other games that were ranked at the time, and he's won those games in games that I could very well see him spit and sputter, and, and he did, he hasn't really. Uh, but it, the times that he makes the mistakes he does, that's when I think we all, myself included, just question, what what are we doing? And at this point, why are we not seeing JT? Because this was a prime example of when I really anticipated seeing JT Daniels come in the game after halftime with the way that Stetson was playing. And even if it didn't happen then, why by the fourth quarter when all we've done is put up a field goal? And I get it. Again, I get it. The game's out of hand. It's pretty much 27 to nothing at that time. Why do we need to bring JT in? But that takes me back to I don't think that Kirby's thought process is let's rest JT as long as we can now. I don't think that's the process anymore. I think now it's it's really just sticking with Stetson as long as you can. And you're never going to be able to build that continuity with JT if you don't give him the opportunity to get back in there. But again, we didn't give Jacob Eason that opportunity back in 2017 either because Jake took that and he ran with it. And he did a very good job for us that year. Now, we're not going to talk about what happened in the years following because I don't want to I don't want to get into that debate. That's a debate for another podcast because that's not one I really want to get into. But nonetheless, that's where we end up on the offense. Let's talk about that defense though. Again, it's those third down dogs, them down dirty dogs, because they are as good as it gets. I mean, as good as it gets when it comes to a defense. Again, the number one defense in the country right now in a lot, a lot of categories, a lot of aspects, and these dogs did it again. They do give up 355 yards in this game, 194 through the air, and and like like we were talking about average-wise, that's a little bit more than we give up. In a game, 225 is what we're averaging. We gave up over 125 more than that that we normally don't. So Florida was actually able to move the ball pretty efficiently. I I say pretty efficiently. They were able to move the ball. I put it to you that way. Defense bailed us out a lot in this, a lot of times. We're going to talk about it. We did give them 20 first downs, which is not much more than what they they, they usually get. Had two sacks on the night. Five tackles for loss, but again, three takeaways uh, in this game. If Georgia gives the ball up three times in this game and Georgia doesn't, or if Florida, excuse me, if Georgia gives the ball up three times in this game and Florida doesn't, I'm not saying Georgia loses this game, but this game does not end. I don't think this game ends 34 to seven. This game may have ended like a, a 10 to three, or it could have ended a a 13-7, another really close game like the Clemson game at the start of the year. Because as much as we want to dog on Dan Mullen, and trust me, he he needs all the dogging he can get because uh, he's just a joke. Uh, but we also dog on the defensive coordinator there as well. And Florida's defense played really good in this game. 
There were times that they didn't, but Florida's defense played much, much better in this game than I anticipated. I called coming into this game that Georgia was going to have a 600-yard night, and Georgia didn't. Georgia covered, what, half of that? Almost 400 yards in the game. So they did do fairly well, but that didn't happen. My 600-yard prediction didn't happen. My 44-10 to 10 or 44-13 to 13 prediction, that didn't happen either. But them dogs, they did the job. They did what you're supposed to do. Again, the strip by Nolan Smith. Right behind it, you get a tip ball from Trayvon Walker that's picked off by Nolan Smith. Right after that, again, all of this with just over two minutes to play in the first half, a pick six by N'Kobe Dean. Quay Walker leading the charge, 13 total tackles, seven of them by himself. Lewis seen eight total tackles. N'Kobe Dean, seven. Adam Anderson, seven. Channing Tindall, seven. Keely Ringo, five. Kendrick, five. Latavius Brini, five. Christopher Smith, he's back, four. Nolan Smith, four. Vontae Wyatt, four. Jalen Carter, four. Trevon Walker, three. Jordan Davis, two. Amir Speed, he's back, one. I mean, the Dogs' defense is elite. I don't know how many more times we can say it. I mean, I'm just going to become a broken record basically by the end of this thing because these Dogs are, are just nasty, just nasty. I mean, again, when you're only giving up 75 yards on the ground, you have only given up what five touchdowns through the entire season, and we're not gonna we're not we're not counting that that pick six of of UAB against you because I think we were averaging what six and a half points uh, per game, and we're still averaging that six point six points per game is what we're averaging. And let's go ahead and take off. That's that's not even including the fact that we gave up seven to UAB on a pick six. You know, that, that's a skewed number right there. Let's go ahead and take that away. So if you start to take some of that stats away and information like that, that changes a little bit. It goes down a little bit. At that point, I still think it's probably like six because, you know, you still scored, let a couple other teams score on you. But you just can't talk enough about the defense. You really can't. We held in this game, in this game, Emory Jones ended up having to come in. They started Anthony Richardson, probably not their best idea, to start a kid who, again, I, I – I, think I predicted it before this, and it's it's not about me predicting. That's not what this is all about. But I had a feeling Anthony Richardson was going to be the quarterback coming into this game. One, because I've, I've, I've heard all of the heat that Dan's been getting for putting Emory Jones in there, but I've also seen it. And I would have thought, hey, probably not the best game necessarily to put him in, but if, if you're going to be successful against Georgia, I feel like the only chance that you have was having Anthony Richardson as your quarterback. He has also been your leading rusher, excuse me, Emory Jones was, because both of them are having to run for their lives every time they're in there. But Anthony Richardson, he does get the start, and we beat the snot of him. He goes 12 for 20, 82 yards, throws two picks. What was it, by the third quarter, I believe, we take him out of the game. Emory Jones has to come in, and guess what? Emory Jones came in and was actually successful. Goes 10 for 14, 112 yards through the air. On the ground, Damian Pierce leads the charge for the, for uh, Florida 9 carries, 69 yards. Right behind him, Anthony Richardson, 12 times, 26 yards. Emory Jones, 5 times, 22 yards. The only touchdown in the night came from Emory Jones when he came in. But Georgia's defense, locking it down, only giving the Florida Gators 7 points. I don't like to make comparisons against Alabama, but I've got to. Alabama beats this team by 2 points. Georgia beats them by 26. That's not what it's all about. I get it. 27. I think it was 27, right? 35, yeah, 27, 27, excuse me, not 26. I'm not trying to make that comparison, but Georgia's 
this this is this is a defensive game because again without those takeovers before the half this is this is a much closer game and the possibility that if those take those take excuse me those takeaways with the possibility of those not happening maybe you do see JT come in this game after all that I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen moving forward. If I was a guessing man from this point forward, though, again, you're, I don't think you're going to see JT unless you have to, which is kind of scary. And I say that just because if it's me, and I was I was actually talking to my boss about this today, if Stetson Bennett gets the start against Missouri, which we should all at this point go ahead and you know put your money on that because that's happening. Let's get a good lead in this, and let's put JT in there in the second half. We've got to continue to get him reps when it matters. Again, I don't know why in the world we didn't see him against Florida, but if you're going to build any of that chemistry back up, it needs to happen now. If you think that he's going to be the guy to get you there against an Alabama and an SEC championship game or a rematch against Auburn, uh, well, we need to see him. We need to start getting him in there. You start talking about the possibility of getting to a playoff if you can win that SEC championship game, then you're going to see the likes of an Ohio State who has a good offense, which our defense, I think, can handle anybody in this country. But you still have to score uh, in a game. If you're only scoring 10 points, we have been scored 10 points on before. That can happen. I'm not saying that it will, but we still need to be able to move the ball and be effective on offense. And we have been. But sometimes I wonder if Stetson's that answer. And and I'm not saying that trying to be critical, but I'm just saying what we're all thinking. I don't know that Stetson's the guy to get us there. And I, and I hate to be down on him, and I'm not trying to be that way, but some of the reads that he makes are not correct. Some of the throws that he throws, he shouldn't throw. And that concerns me. Now, I'm not saying that JT's going to get in there and play perfect football and do those exact same things, you know, because that is a possibility. But JT has not shown that. Anytime he's been in, he's shown that, okay, I, I'm going to make the correct reads. If I can't throw the ball, let's take that Clemson game, for example. There was not very many opportunities to throw the ball. And when that happened, JT didn't try to fit it in holes. JT didn't push it. He didn't throw interceptions in that game because – he sat back and realized that's what the defense is giving him. Okay, it's time to hand the ball off. It's time to to, to ground and pound and see what we can make happen in this game. Um, that's the difference right now. And I get it. Four or five plays that Stetson's able to move the ball down the field and, and give you opportunities to score, yes, that's that's all well and good. But if you got JT in there that might throw a ball away here, but then guess what? Next play he's able to hit on a 60-yard pass. You know, that's the difference. Also, that arm strength, I think, is just a little bit better for JT. And in situations where Stetson has thrown the ball down and a receiver has had to come back to the ball, I don't think that happens with JT. I think JT, and I could be wrong since all this oblique injury and lat injury, maybe he doesn't have quite the distance on his throws anymore. I'm not sure about that. Again, I'm not in practice, so that could be another part of the reason JT's not in there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward, but that is something that I want to see. I want to see JT get in these games because when we get deeper into the season, which we're deep in right now, but you got Tennessee coming up. Their offense is really good. I think our defense will do just fine against them, but we still have to score. What I want to see coming up in the Mizzou game is I fully believe Stetson will be your starter, but let's see JT get in a little bit. Let's continue to get him some reps because there is the possibility you're going to need him. You know, With the scrambling ability of Stetson, 
That doesn't mean that there's not a situation where he may slide to get down. That doesn't mean a guy's not going to pop him intentionally. Yeah, they may take a flag. They may take a targeting penalty and get thrown out of the game. You think Missouri cares about that this year? You think Georgia Tech at the end of the season is going to give any 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 care in the world about that? No. They're going to do all they can to hit your quarterback. In Tennessee, you best believe that too. They're going to do all they can to hit the quarterback in any situation. And if Stetson gets hurt, JT has to be ready. It's hard to believe that at the end of this season, nearing the end of the season, I should say, that's a thought process that we're having. If JT, if Stetson gets hurt, JT needs to be ready. Again, it goes back to some of that stuff we talked about a couple of weeks ago. If I was to tell you that JT Daniels got hurt at the beginning of this season, that Stetson would be the quarterback, that George Pickens would not be, which we knew coming into the season, obviously, George Pickens wouldn't be there. You wouldn't have a single rusher run the ball for more than 100 yards in a game until week nine. Where do you think Georgia would be? And then if I was to tell you on top of that, hey, if Stetson gets hurt, we need to get JT in. You know, if I was to tell you all these things, you would you would not think Georgia is number one team in the country, is 8-0, and is dominating all teams that they play. All teams. I love a, a tweet that I saw last week after the game was, let me, let me see if I can remember exactly how it was said. Instead of thinking about who's going to test Georgia, maybe Georgia is the test. I'll have to look back and give credit to who that was that sent that tweet out, but that was pretty good. That was actually really good to, to read something like that because as a Georgia fan, you know, we talked about the Georgia curse off the top of the show that it's now lifted. Thank you, Brace. Um, that that's a that's a thing that's a thing we have in our mind it's like all right well who's going to test georgia and maybe it's not who's going to test georgia it's that georgia's the test for other teams and so far no teams are passing it and that's why georgia hasn't seen that every time we play it's oh well, they hadn't played anybody but yet they want to continue to rank those teams and continue to say oh those teams are good but then they lose to georgia because georgia dominates them and all of a sudden they turn into a team that oh well maybe they weren't that good no maybe georgia's just that good and it's time to make sure we give that credit, which clearly has happened. All the top AP votes for the past two weeks. Sitting at the top of the first initial college football playoff ranking for the year of 2021 here in week nine. By the way, this was another stat that I thought about earlier today that I actually was talking to a buddy of mine about. Last year was the first time, and I could be wrong about this. I should have looked it up, but I'm, I'm just going to say it. Last year was the first time that the initial college football playoff ranking number one team won the national championship. Since the playoff started, the first team to be ranked number one when that college football playoff ranking comes out nearing the end of the season has not won the national championship until last year when Alabama did that. Let's see if we can repeat that this year with Georgia being at the top of that. That's what we've got for wrapping up against the Florida game. Again, unfortunately, nobody got the uh, the pick on this game. Again, I put it up prediction 44-13. to 13. That did not hit. When I look back, there was two guys. One guy had it like 35-6, to six, I think. Another guy, I think, actually had it 34-6 um, or 35-7, something like that. So getting really – Really close to it, getting really close to it, but not quite hitting. Let's run around a couple of the games around the country from week nine. Then we're going to plow through the preview of Missouri 
before we really jump into uh, some of the other games coming up here in week 10 before we wrap this thing up. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Just going to run through these really quickly. Number six, Michigan falling to number eight, Michigan State, 37 to 33. Number nine, Iowa, again, falling from grace, falls to Wisconsin, 27 to 7. Wisconsin now ranked in that college football playoff ranking, though. Texas, 24, falling to number 16, Baylor, 31. Texas, again, not all that great this year. I kept trying to tell people. Uh, number 17, Pitt falling to Miami, 38 to 34. All of a sudden, Miami's coming alive, even without De'Eric King. Number 22, Iowa State, 31. West Virginia taking them down, 38 to 31. That would been the better way to say that. Iowa State, another one of those highly projected at the start of the season and just not has not come to fruition as the season's moved on. Number 10, Ole Miss falling to number 18, Auburn, which we talked about earlier, 31 to 20. Again, Kentucky. Georgia, I think, broke them as well. Mississippi State beats them 31-17 to at the time. Kentucky was ranked 12th. They are still in the top 25, and Mississippi State is actually in that top 25 college football playoff ranking as well. Houston taking down another top 25 team in number 19, SMU, 44-37. to And then you got Ohio State just getting by Penn State, 33-24. to Penn State, I believe, now out of that top 25 ranking. Just had to make sure. I know because in the AP poll, they were still actually still ranked in that. So wanted to make sure of that real quick. All right. Now, let's jump down into previewing the Missouri game. What does Georgia have to do to take Missouri down out of outside of, like we talked about just a minute ago, we got to contain Tyler Batty. I think that's the big one. Got to contain him. He is the biggest threat for Missouri so far. Coming into this game, the comparisons. Missouri putting up 34.8 points a game. Again, we talked about this. Georgia up 37.9 points per game. Points allowed. This is the biggest difference. Georgia obviously only giving up 6.6. Missouri's giving up 36 points a game. So what Georgia's averaging is 30, basically 38. Georgia's going to be able to get all of that against Missouri. And I think that's the reason that the line opened in this game at 39. It's since fallen down to 38, but I think it opened at 39 and a half. And I think a lot of people hammered that, but obviously more have hammered uh, the under are taking Missouri in that for it to fall down to 38. Total yards in this, Missouri actually outgains Georgia. Total yardage, 454 to 420, uh, and they do that through the air. 279 yards through the air compared to Georgia's 227. Rushing the ball, 174 yards on the ground, whereas Georgia's getting 192.8, so we do lead that on the ground. Kind of surprising there with Tyler Batty being their running back. Yards allowed, again, this is the biggest difference. They're giving up 475 yards a game. So what they're getting, they're giving up. Missouri, again, not that good. They're 4-4 four and four this year. They're – let me just go back to this comparison. They're giving up more points than they're scoring. They're also giving up more yards than they're that they are getting. So that's where that happens. They give up 191.8 yards through the air and 283 yards on the ground. One of the worst rush defenses in the country. And – this may be the game that Georgia puts up 600 yards on a team and 400 of that may come on the ground. James Cook may run the ball for 200 yards and Zeus may run the ball for 200 yards in this game. Kenny Mack, he may be able to get in this and do the same thing as well. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes moving forward. But I fully anticipate at least one Georgia player, if not two, getting 100 yards rushing in this game because Missouri's not going to be able to stop that run. Not at all. 
This I don't think is going to be a 62 to nothing bludgeoning like Vandy, but it's still going to be a beatdown. I've got this one predicted at 45 to 3. Uh, and I do think we see JT coming to this one. I'm hoping by that second half we put him in there because, again, I just want to see him get some get some play time in this game. Last five games for Missouri. Vandy, they squeaked by that last week. I called that on the other show. I actually took Vandy not to win, but plus that 16, and they, they covered that, 37 to 28. Missouri struggling with Vandy. Maybe I – who knows? Maybe Georgia does put up like 70 on them. I don't know. But anyways, Texas A&M, they fall 34 to 14. They squeak by University of North Texas, 48 to 35. Fall to Tennessee, 62 to 24, and also lost in overtime to Boston College, 41 to 34. So you better believe Georgia's coming for blood in this game, coming for blood, and gonna do pretty much all they can to to get it. Connor Bazelak throwing for over 200 and let's see, 2,138 yards, 13 touchdowns, 13 touchdowns. Let me say that correctly, but eight interceptions. Stetson Bennett right behind him at 11.57, 12 touchdowns, but only four interceptions. Two of those did come this past week. Tyler Batty right at that 1,000-yard mark, 918 yards, or 989 yards, excuse me, 11 touchdowns. Zeus, half of that, 505 yards on eight touchdowns. Brock Bowers still leads the dogs in the receiving category, 454 yards on 26 touches, six touchdowns. This is going to be a good game as far as for Georgia goes. This one at 12 o'clock. On ESPN, we do get that ESPN slate, but another lunchtime game. Also, the Tennessee game was announced. That game, I believe, is at 3.30 uh, on CBS next week. That's where we line up on that. Not really a lot to preview in this one. Again, I, I, I just want to see I want to see some JT get in this game. I want to see him. Let's see what he looks like after coming back from this injury and supposedly being healthy. Even if it's in a situation where it's mop-up duty, give him those reps. Give him the opportunity to get in there. Not necessarily win his job back, but let's just see what happens. Now, I fully believe that if Stetson comes into this game and struggles for the first quarter, or even the first quarter and a half of this game, and Georgia's only winning 10 to nothing in the second quarter, I fully believe we are to see JT come into this game and try to light a fire under these guys because we've got to have something happening uh, to make sure we don't go stale on offense because especially getting healthy nearing the end of this season, we've got weapons to throw the ball to. Let's do it. We've got guys who can run the ball, hand it to them. Let's make this happen. Defensively, they're getting the job done. They've got the offenses back, but the offense still has to be able to put up points when the defense can't because pick sixes don't come in every game. You can't rely on getting a pick six in every game and the defense winning the game on both sides. So, Got to continue to move the ball, and again, I, I give a lot of give a lot of flack to the offense, but for the most part, they've gotten the job done when the need, jobs needed to be done. So that's what we look like against Mizzou coming up again. I got that one predicted at forty-five to three. I'll get to my picks here in just a minute. Other games around the country this week: number five Ohio State traveling to Nebraska, number nine Wake Forest traveling to North Carolina. Liberty Hugh Freeze headed back to Ole Miss. Uh, this weekend, that'll be kind of an interesting to watch because Liberty is actually, I think, like 7-1 and one coming into this game. The game of the weekend, number 13, Auburn, at number 14, Texas A&M. Uh, oddly enough, I do not believe game day is going to this game. I think game day is actually going to uh, Oregon, Washington. Is that right? I may be wrong about that, too. Who knows? But that's the game to be at right there, Auburn and Texas A&M. This has SEC championship, you know, caliber potential to it 
with the fact that if Auburn can win and then beat Alabama at the end of the year, like I talked about off the top, they could be in the SEC championship game. Texas A&M could do the same thing. They could beat Auburn. And if Auburn was to beat Alabama at the end of the year, Texas A&M would have that argument. So not only does it have SEC championship implications, but at that point could possibly rear its head to be a, a national championship run or a college football playoff implication if one of these teams was to get to the SEC championship game and, and win an SEC championship game. Now, as, as us dogs holding down the east over here, we don't anticipate that happening. And really at this point, I don't have much of a concern of who it is we see in the SEC championship game just because how dominant that defense has been. I don't think many teams, even if, even if it's a bad day for a Georgia defense, I don't see a team scoring more than 17 points on us. I could be completely wrong, but at this point, nobody has proven, proven that wrong. So I'm going to continue to lean on that. But a really good game there in College Station on Saturday. Then following that up, you also got number 17 Mississippi State traveling to Arkansas LSU at number two Alabama, a game that has absolutely no hype around it, none whatsoever. A game that in years past has been a huge game, especially that 2019 season when LSU and Alabama went back and forth, back and forth, huge high-scoring affair. This game is going to be high-scoring as well for the number two team in the country in Alabama because Alabama is absolutely going to roll, and I mean roll LSU in this one at home. Tennessee at number 18, Kentucky. That one could be a good one. Number four, Oregon at Washington as well. My week 10 picks, they go like this. Tennessee. I think Tennessee is going to beat Kentucky. Again, I think Georgia broke Kentucky when they played earlier this year. Tennessee's offense with Hendon Hooker looks a lot better than it did at the start of this season. Kentucky, it's going to take a lot. They've got to be able to run the ball to be able to beat a team. Not that Will Levis can't do it with his arms or with his leg. I had that completely backwards as far as the plurals go. You get it with his arm and with his legs. But anyways, Tennessee, I think offensively, is just going to be too much for Kentucky. The only good thing for Kentucky, this one is in Lexington. So that does help out a little bit. But I think Tennessee beats Kentucky this weekend. Uh, that let line and the spread's actually even right now. Bama, I'm taking Bama minus 28.5. I think Bama gets the job done at home against LSU this weekend. Plays this one with the lights are the head on fire, and I could see Alabama winning this one like 45 to, I don't know, 45 to nothing, 45 to 3, 7, 10, something like that. I think Alabama's going to roll LSU in this one. Oklahoma State, the team that I've just been leaning really heavily on all season, they're traveling to West Virginia. They're only three-and-a-half-point favorites. Mm. Yeah, another road. Yeah, yeah. I think Oklahoma State's taking this one. Give me that minus three-and-a-half for Oklahoma State going into this one, that one, being outside of the SEC and some of the others. Hey, uh, like I said off the top here, glad to have you guys here, and I really appreciate you guys being with me. Make sure you guys go and check out Twitter again, at DogTalk20. Would appreciate that. Check out the website. Looking forward to the dogs taking down Missouri this upcoming weekend, and I will be sure to check back in on you guys after the game on Sunday. Go dogs. Go dogs.